Hi, welcome to Hopevale Church's online worship service. My name is Nate. I'm the Bay City Campus Pastor, and we're so glad that you chose to worship with us today. If you're a guest, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We would love to connect with you and help you connect to everything happening at Hopevale Church. You can go to our website at hopevale.org new and fill out a digital connect card there to help get that process started. It's easy with these online services to become a passive viewer, and we really want to encourage you to engage. You can do that a number of different ways. As we worship, you can stand and sing out, even if you're in your living room. As we go through the message, we encourage you to get your Bible out. And as Pastor Sam today goes through the different passages, you can get those out and look at them together. Uh, and then also you can engage by giving. If you'd like to give to Hopevale Church, there are a number of different ways that you can do that. You can give online at hopevale.org give. You can give through the mobile app by texting the phrase Hopevale to 77977. And you can also mail your gift to our ministry center in Saginaw. But we hope in one way or another, you'll engage with these services as we worship together online. Today for us is a communion service, and we want you to be able to engage with communion as well. So you can go to our website at hopevale.org communion, and there you'll find a couple of different videos, one from Pastor Dan and another from Pastor Sam, so that you all can engage in communion at home. I'm really looking forward to hearing from Pastor Sam today as he continues his series, Unlikely, and we look at the story of Rahab. Let's pray this morning before we get started. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come together and gather online to worship you, to study your word, and to grow together. We look forward to everything you have in store for us today through this time of worship and studying your word, through what you're going to share through Pastor Sam as we look at the story of Rahab. Jesus, we're so grateful for your life and all the ways you're sharing it with us during these days. And we look forward to what you're going to share with us today. We love you, Jesus. We depend upon you. And we're glad to make much of you today as a church. In your name we pray. Amen. Hello, Hopevale, and thank you for joining us online today. Please join us as we give our grateful and our awesome praise to Jesus today.
days may be darkest, but your light is greater. You light our way, God, you light our way. When evil is rising, you're rising higher with power to save, with power to save. You hope alive. in that time of worship is so good. Thanks, Eliana. It's beautiful. 
So hey, I want to uh, talk just for a moment and encourage us about our view of God today, friends. My name's Billy. I'm the worship pastor. So glad you've decided to log in and join us. Just be with us for this time of worship to be encouraged and uh, maybe to have your perspective just changed and focused and pointed north uh, this week. So um, yeah, I was kind of convicted in thinking about our view of God and how we view God. Uh, and I uh, just wanted to talk about that for a moment and talk about this creator of the universe, the one that's beyond our galaxy, the one that's holy, that's made everything. It's so far away and so very big and yet so small and so very tiny and so very near. So uh, Genesis 1 and Psalm 8 talk about how God has set the moon and the stars in place and how he made those things from the beginning. And he's this very far away um, God that's done all those things, very big God. And um, another scripture, Psalm 139 and Romans 5 talk about how God knows the numbers of hair that are on our head. And even while we were still yet uh, sinners, while we are people who uh, just don't follow God or obey God all the time, God still loved us enough through Christ to send his son Jesus to be our ransom. So uh, we thank the Lord for that. And that's a very minute, close, intimate, small uh, God that does some those things, um, very graceful. Uh, so some of us view God as being uh, this God that's really grand and big in nature that way. Some of us view God as the one that's very intimate in relationship that way and uh, to know his goodness and his pleasure through his Holy Spirit. And I, you know, I think both are right, gang. I think both are the right things. And I've thought that for a long time. Even when I was young, I remember um, just thinking, wow, God's so big and far away and something had to make all this. And yet at the same time, he's so very near. I tend to be somebody who's more of a heart to relationship guy. Surprise, if you've been worshiping with us for a long time, it's easy for me to cry and blah, blah, blah. But uh, as I get older and uh, through the years, I just have this very uh, big view of God more and more, this grand nature of God. Um, so God's very big and he's very small. I guess it's my point I wanted to make here. Um, and so I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I'm just saying that, um, you know, God is big and huge at the same time. God is the embodiment of uh, om, om, omnipotence, which means all-powerful, and omnipresence, which means he's everywhere, and uh, omniscience, which means he's all-knowing. Pretty big, pretty small. So if you're a parent, um, what is your view of your child for most parents? Heavens. You love that kid more than anything in the world. And um, you have this unconditional, wide, as far as the east is from the west kind of love for your kid. And God loves us that way. Some of us might view uh, God uh, as this heavenly deity that's far away and ready to pounce and uh, shame as quick as he can. And I don't think that's God. I don't think the scriptures uh, describe God like that. And if you grew up uh, in a place where there's kind of a lot of guilt or something like that, in your faith, sorry, but that's not um, how, how the scriptures uh, uh, depict God. God certainly brings correction. Don't get me wrong. It, God brings correction to us, but he's not sitting there like cherry picking and just waiting to just pounce on the next thing that you do wrong. He made us and he loves us and he wants to be with us like a parent loves, your, loves their child, but it's even more than what we can imagine. And I, I, don't, even, I don't even get that, man. That's, that's a huge deal, but he made us to enjoy this life of love and living on this journey of life together. So uh, so God's done that same thing for us. So I think about uh, in the book of Jeremiah 29, it talks about how God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And uh, that was written for a different 
people group in a different time, but the same still holds true today, uh, that God wants great things for us today and every day. So uh, the first words that Destiny is about to sing in this next song uh, talk about how God has gone before us, how he saves us, and how he's made a way for us, and how he defends us. And hopefully this will elicit some kind of uh, thanks from all of our hearts and worship together and maybe have our perspectives aligned a little bit more northbound today. That would be beautiful. And how we can view God in a much more healthy way that way too. So let's do that now. Let's worship.
What a powerful time of worship we have already had today. I was just, you know, sitting here listening to the words of those songs, singing them out with the the band and the worship team, and I was just thinking to myself, what an incredible message that we're singing back to God today. God, I'm grateful for all that you've done in my life. And God, you're my defender, and there's hope because of you. I mean, these are just powerful words that we get to sing today in worship to God. I'm, I'm Sam Burke. I'm the next-gen pastor here at Hopevale, and I am so glad that you have joined us in worship today. We are actually in week three of this series that we have called Unlikely, and this series is all about these improbable stars 
from the scriptures and these incredible stories that they, they lived. In week one of this series, we looked at a story in the life of a guy named Moses and how God used Moses in spite of his physical speech limitations to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And we, we also learned that God wants to use you and me in spite of our physical, emotional, or relational limitations as well, that, that we should not excuse what God could use. Last week, we looked at a humbling story in the life of one of Jesus's disciples named Peter. Peter failed Jesus in a miserable way. But instead of Jesus saying to him, you know, well, Peter, you failed me. I'm sorry, I can't use you. Instead, Jesus forgave him. He restored him and he re-engaged him back into a significant ministry position. And what we learned last week is that our past failures don't disqualify us from present ministry. In fact, Jesus wants to use you and use me in significant ways in spite of our past failures. Well, today I want us to talk about how God sees and views this thing called our occupations or our jobs. You know, as a kid growing up um, in the church that I grew up in, I got handed this idea down to me, and it was, it was handed out subconsciously. No one ever said it. No one ever taught it. it. I just observed it happening over and over and over again, and it was this, that if you really wanted to do God's will or do God's kind of work, then you had to like give up everything, your job, your life, money, sometimes relationships, and you had to become a missionary or a pastor, or you had to work in some sort of church or a Christian um, environment. That was really doing God's work. You know, there was, there was work, you know, that everybody else did, but then there was the Lord's work that these special chosen few did, that ordinary people could have faith But if you stepped out to do something like that, oh my goodness, that was like having great faith. Now, like I said, no one ever said that specifically, but it was just something that I heard and picked up that was going on over and over again. Now, I'm I'm not completely knocking going into ministry and all that because, well, here I am, I'm a pastor, and hopefully for the right reasons, right? But, But I do think that kind of thinking is a little bit misguided. And, and here's why. Because when I was a senior in high school, I expressed to my parents that I thought God was nudging me to become a pastor. And they thought that that was a great thing. They were like, oh, they were thrilled. But they also thought that it would have been just as great if I would have followed my other passion and became a journalist. See, that was the other thing I wanted to do. You know, I felt nothing but support from my parents either way, no matter what I chose. But my church leaders, on the other hand, that was a different story altogether. I mean, it was an, oh, praise the Lord, Sam has been called to be a pastor. And they would say that from the stage. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) kind of a thing. Or it's so glorious that Sam is going to be doing the Lord's work as a pastor in a church. And you know what I thought, and and what I thought was funny back then, I still think is funny to today, Um, is that I had several friends who went on to do other things like study to become an engineer or something. And a lot of them were pretty strong Christian friends. But no one ever celebrated those decisions with a, oh, praise the Lord, they've been called to be an engineer in the church. It was more like, oh, you're going to be an engineer? Well, that's cool. That's cool. But if you were going to be a missionary, you're going to be a pastor or do some kind of Christian work, it was like, oh, praise the Lord, they are really doing God's work here. So subconsciously, it felt like there was work, there was jobs, there was occupation, then there was, there was God's work. 
And it made you stop and think, you know, can God actually use me in other occupations other than this? Or does, God's, does God really value us more because we chose this path over that path? But my question, though, as I, I thought about this as a teenager growing up and even today is this, what if none of that's true? What if none of that's true? What if, what if God isn't as focused on our occupations and our jobs as we are? And what if God cares more about your identity in Christ than your illustrious career? What if God cares more about your obedience than he does about your occupation? What if God cares more about your witness than what you're going to do for work? And here's one of the questions that actually started leading me down this path a while ago. What if God were to choose someone to do something more significant who worked in a secular environment than he would choose to use someone in a ministry environment to do something. And I, and I just started thinking, can that happen? I, the way I grew up, they, they made it seem like it couldn't happen that way. And then I want you to think about this. I want all of us to think about this. What if God could even use someone whose occupation made them the most unlikely candidate in most people's eyes to do anything for God? You know, what if it was someone that you would even say, you know, I I know God can use anyone to do anything, but they're, uh," and then fill in the blank. You know, God doesn't use those kind of people. He doesn't use those fill in the blanks. Well, if you have a copy of the scriptures, a physical or digital one, I want you to grab it and I want you to go to the Old Testament book of Joshua. And I want you to find chapter two. And Hopeville, I want you to meet someone this morning, a very unlikely candidate to do anything for God because of her occupation. I want you to meet a woman named Rahab. Okay, so Joshua chapter two, find that. Now here's what's going on in the background leading up to her story. Moses, who we met in week one, has been leading the Israelites through the wilderness for the past 40 years because the Israelite people did not believe that God would actually give them the promised land. And if you know the story, then you know it it, kind of went like this. Moses sends in these 12 spies into the land to kind of see what's going on. And 10 come back and say, nope, there's giants land, there's no way. And two, now 10 were bad, two were good if you grew up in church. Um, These two spies come back and they're like, no, God's got this. Let's go. Let's do this. Those spies' names were Caleb, and then the other one was named Joshua. So Moses, nearing the end of his life in leadership, he actually passes the torch of leadership to one of those two spies named Joshua. Now, the Israelite people are ready to march into the promised land and possess it. They're all ready to go. So Joshua tells two young spies, he pulls them aside and he goes, hey, I need you to go in and I need you to spy out the land. I think he chose two because he remembered back and he was like, you know, last time we did 12, 10 came back and we're bad. So we're only going to go with two this time. Uh, but he chose, he chose these two young men to go into this city called Jericho that's heavily fortified with this huge wall around it and to do some recon work and to come back with a report. And so that's where we pick up this story in Joshua chapter two. Look what it says. It says, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. He says, go over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Look at verse two. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So this is not like a secret thing. Like people are seeing what's going on here and they're telling the king, hey, these guys that have been out there, they're here. So look at verse three. 
So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. He's like, they, he, they're, uh, they're, they've got, they've got a, an idea of what's happening here. Look at verse four. But the woman had taken the two men and she had hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. Look at verse five. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Verse six. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. Look at verse seven. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Verse eight, before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Look at verse nine. And then a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Verse 10, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Verse 11, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. Look what she says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Verse 12, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. Verse 13, that you will spare spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. In verse 14, our lives for your lives is what the men assured her. If if you don't tell what, uh, what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So the rest of the story goes something like this. Um, They tell her, they say, Rahab, here's what we need to do. You need to hang a little red cord outside of your window. And when we come, you need to make sure that all of your family is inside your house. Your dad, your mom, your brothers, sisters, all their family inside the house. And when we come, God's going to give us all of this, but you will still be safe because of that. And so then they go back to Joshua and they tell him the report. God used Rahab in an unbelievable way. Now, the writer of this story points out to us right from the beginning that Rahab is a prostitute. Now, it may be in the writer's eyes that he needed to tell us this because to him and to all of them, she was a very unlikely candidate to save the day for God's people and to do God's purposes. You know, in fact, as soon as I said that word, I'm I'm assuming that a lot of us kind of went like, can God use somebody like that? (laughs) I don't know. But before we get on the, you know, judge Rahab for her occupation train, I I think we need to know a little bit more about how these people came to be in this occupation in the ancient Near East. See, I think a lot of times what happens is we can be so quick to judge someone before we even know the whole story or the why behind what they're doing or why they chose what they did. So I think understanding this a little more will actually connect us to Rahab a little closer. And so as I studied and studied this out, I began to feel more and more compassion for Rahab and for her situation. And here's why. Most young women who had this as their profession in the ancient Near East did so for one of a, a very few reasons. They, they may have done it because, number one, they were kidnapped as a child and forced into it to make their master's money. And oh, by the way, that still happens today. It's called human trafficking. It's a huge problem. So that was one of the reasons they could have been in this profession. Another reason was uh, maybe number two, they grew up in a very corrupt family and they were forced into the family business. 
And so that's how they got into it. Or, or number three, it was a necessity because they had zero other way to take care of themselves or any children they may have had. Because if you weren't married and you were a woman in that day, jobs were not readily available for women because of a patriarchal system that did not value single women in the workplace or women in the workplace for that, that matter. So they were like, what do I have to do to be able to make ends meet, to make money, to get food on the table? And so this was a way. Or number four, the fourth, a fourth reason was that they were guilted into it to appease a God. A lot of times there were temples in these cities and they were told these stories that if you really want to make the gods happy, this is what you had to do. And so they were guilted into it. Very few women, as I studied this out, what I found is very few women chose this line of work because they liked it or enjoyed it in the ancient Near East. So I think knowing that really helps us set a tone of, of who this person Rahab is, and it gives us maybe a little more compassion for her. In fact, most women who were forced to choose this line of work out of necessity were often shunned by their families. Their families wanted nothing to do with them. And so knowing this, I think, makes this story even more interesting because if Rahab was shunned by her family, not saying she was because the text doesn't say it, but if she was, I want you to think about that. Her bold request that the Israelites spare her family, her mother, her father, her brothers, her sisters, and all of their families, that becomes even more significant because she would be showing compassion to those who showed her very little compassion in the first place. But what I love about this story is that Rahab's occupation does not define her. No matter how, how hard the story tries to make it do so, in the end, Rahab's occupation does not define her. What defines Rahab is her obedience to God. It's her obedience to God. God nudges her and she says, I know the Lord is the Lord in heaven and on earth. I know he's giving you land and I am going with you. I'm going to take this step of obedience. Her occupation doesn't define her. Her obedience defines her. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the hall of faith with all of these stories, one after another of great people of faith from the scriptures, her story is actually in Hebrews 11. Look what it says here. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were, look at this word, disobedient. What that implies is that Rahab was obedient to God. See, what Rahab is defined by is not her occupation. It's her obedience. At the end of the day, it's that obedience that defines who she is. And God big time rewards Rahab's obedience. She ends up marrying a Jewish man named Salmon. Some, some scholars speculate that he was maybe one of the two spies, um, but it's not really definitively known if that was the case. But she ends up marrying this guy named Salmon, and they have this son named Boaz. Boaz ends up marrying a woman named Ruth, and they have a son named Obed. Obed gets married, and he has a son named Jesse who would eventually get married and have a lot of sons, and the last of which is named David. David becomes king of Israel, and it's from his lineage that the Messiah, that Jesus, is born. And so Rahab's reward for her obedience is not only that she and her family are spared, but it's that through her children, the Messiah comes. Through her children, Jesus is born. That is incredible. Her occupation didn't define her. Her obedience defines her. And for you and for me, our occupation doesn't define us either. Our obedience to Christ 
defines us. See, this is what we learn from Rahab. Our identity is not in what we do. Our identity is found in Christ. And I think this is why we have so much in common with Rahab and with her story, especially now. Because I think for a lot of people, we have this, this misguided notion that our worth is all tied up in our work. I mean, just think about it. One of the first questions that we ask someone when we get to know them or meet them isn't like, hey, who are you? What do you like? It's, no, it's usually, what do you do, right? We ask about our work. But our worth is not in our work. And our value is not tied up in our vocations. Because if our worth is equal to our work and our, our value is equal to our vocation, then I think right now there are quite a few people in this world who are struggling big time with worth and with value because there are over one million people, even just in the United States alone, who are unemployed. They're, they're out of work. They have no work. So maybe if that is true, then if work equals worth and value and vocation are equal, then, then there's just no worth and no value happening for a lot of people. But what Rahab's story tells us is that even in something like unemployment or having to, to find a job that's just about making enough money to make the ends meet, that none of that determines your value or your worth. It does not define who you really are. See, you and I are of great value and of great worth because we are created in the image of God and he determined our worth. We are of great value and great worth because Jesus gave his life for you and for me and he determined our worth. See, Rahab teaches us that our occupation doesn't have to define us. Our obedience to Christ does. See, our, our calling in life is, is not to a job. It's not to a ministry job, non-ministry job, kind of like I was wrestling with growing up. Our calling in life, friends, is to follow Jesus and to be obedient to his Holy Spirit, to take obedient steps of faith following Jesus. You know, it's what Rahab was praised for in Hebrews chapter 11. So here's the question. How do we follow Rahab's example here? How do we follow Rahab's example? Well, I think there's two things that help us understand how to do this. The first one is this. We need to listen to the prompts of God. We need to listen to the prompts of God. God is nudging us all the time. Do this, do that, do this. Or maybe it's just, I need to pay attention to where God is moving. And kind of go, okay, this, this is what Rahab did. Rahab is looking around. She's, she's not focused so much on what's going on in her mundane every day, but she's looking up and going, God's doing something here. And everybody feels it and everybody sees it, but she's the only one paying attention enough to know that God is nudging her to do something. And so here these two men show up and it's almost as if God's going, hey, it's right here. And God's going to do that in our lives, too, if we're paying attention, if we're, if we're aware of what's going on, of where God is moving. So we need to listen to the prompts of God. And then like Rahab, after we have discerned where God is moving, then secondly, what we need to do is we need to just take a step. We need to act out of obedience towards God. We need one step at a time. That's what Rahab did. She just, she saw the moment. She saw what was going on. She realized this is God doing something. And she just took a step of obedience. It's that simple. I heard it, it said one time like this. It's like just learning how to do the next right thing. It's like saying, okay, God, I feel like this is where you're moving. This is where you're nudging. I'm just going to take that step and I'm going to obey. 
It's that old song if you grew up in church. It's trust and obey. Trust and obey. And that's what Rahab shows us. That that's what defines us is our obedience to Christ. Not our occupation. Your worth is not wrapped up in your work. Your value is not because of your vocation. Your occupation does not define you or me. Our obedience to Christ does. So what if we lived more like Rahab? What if we just responded out of obedience to what we feel God is nudging us to do next? And what if our obedience to Jesus became more important to us than our occupations or our jobs? Friends, God can use you and me in a very big way, no matter what our occupation is, if we would just learn to trust and obey. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the example of Rahab. And God, I thank you that you did not define her by her occupation, that she wasn't defined by that, but she was defined by her obedient steps towards following you. That she was paying attention enough to see that you were up to something, that you were doing something, and you had asked her and called her to take a step of faith to be obedient. And God, I thank you so much that she did take that step, that she was obedient to you. God, we have a lot to learn from someone like Rahab, someone who we may even at the beginning of this thought, man, she's one of the most unlikely people for God to use to teach me something, yet God uses those people every single day to teach us what it means to follow you. And so God, may we learn from Rahab what it means to trust you, to, to observe what's going on, to feel your nudge, and to take a step of faith and obey. God, may we be a church full of people who aren't defined, our identity isn't defined by our occupations, but, but may we be a church that's defined by our, our obedience to following Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
love that song we sang, Yes, I Will. It's such a great reminder to us that no matter what the circumstances are around us, Jesus is always at work, always at work building his kingdom, always at work drawing people near to God. And it's such a privilege for us to join him in that. No matter what is happening around us, we can count on him. He does not change. We want to thank you all for joining us with this online service today. We hope that it was a blessing to you. We're so glad for all the different ways we see people engaging with Hopevale Church right now. It's amazing to see what Jesus is doing in and through the people of Hopevale Church. We would love to see you. We have an opportunity coming up on Saturday, August the 29th. We have an outdoor night of worship. We would love to see you there if you're ready to gather again in person. We did one of these earlier in the summer and it was an amazing night. And if you weren't there, you missed out. So if you're ready to gather, please join us on Saturday the 29th for an amazing time of worship together out on the front lawn outdoor at our Saginaw campus. You can get more details at our website at hopefail.org slash relaunch. Again, thank you for being with us today. We hope you join us again next week, and we hope that you have a blessed week.